0: not that unusual anymore to serve yourself right what are some of the phrases we hear used all the time you, know, you have to do what's right for you you need to believe in yourself you're worth it you be you you deserve to be happy it's like yeah right i mean it's incredible i mean but the, what's the orientation you 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 care for yourself watch out for yourself you know, and, and think of a culture right now that, in which it's totally normal to do a selfie. The first time I heard of a selfie, I thought that is the strangest thing I've ever heard of. You know, to take pictures of yourself and let everybody see them, and then post them everywhere you want. I mean, that used to be considered like bizarre behavior. <laughs> and now it's totally normal to want to do something, take a picture of yourself and go, look, look, look at me, look at me. It's like a normal thing now. It's really crazy. But I think you make a mistake if you think that's just our culture, right? Because this actually has been going on for a long time. I was thinking of the myth of Narcissus, right? The myth of Narcissus is a little bit different in Greek and Roman history, you know, Greek and Roman theology, which one, but generally, tell both tell the story of Narcissus coming by and looking in a pond and becoming so incredibly enamored with the image he saw of himself. And he fell in love with it, couldn't leave it, and ultimately he died out of a broken heart because his love was unrequited. He could do nothing with his passionate love for himself. It's really a wonderful story. I like what um, Benjamin Franklin said about it. He that falls in love with himself will have no rivals. (laughs) And that is certainly true. But I actually think this is, um, it's actually I think one of the most um, really dangerous sins, the self-orientation. And I think it's particularly dangerous because of two aspects to it. Firstly, it's actually really, um, it's incredibly hidden, easy to be blinded to it in yourself. You know, it is just, it's really easy not to see, not to be aware of it, to always downplay its significance and the impact. And secondly, it's not just a sin you don't see. It's a sin which has the capacity to affect every single thing in your life. You know, really, every decision, every relationship, everything you do can be so impacted by this, by something you don't even see. And that's one of the reasons it's so scary, is, you know, it's, it's, it, it bears that whole self-orientation, bears a lot of resemblance to its ancestor, the headwaters of all sin, pride. You know, which rolls down and impacts everything. Now, in... Um, as we go back into our series on Philippians, Paul tries to attack this sin head-on here in our passage. And, uh, and he says, here's what it is, here's what's really going on, and here's why it's so dangerous. And ultimately, here's what the solution is. So that's what we're going to take a look at. That this sin of self-orientation. Uh, you know, what was happening in uh, the Philippian church that, you know, that caused this problem? What's the real issue going on? How does that impact us? And ultimately, what does Paul say the solution is? So let's look at the problem of the Philippian church. He says, now this sentence, by the way, this is one enormous sentence in the Greek. It's not, you know, in English, it separates in a few sentences. And one of the things, I think I've always read this verse wrong. I've always read it with a a lot of nobility. If you have any encouragement with Christ, from any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort of his love. I think this is more like a plea. It's almost more like, I don't know if it's an aggressive plea or a, it's like, come on, guys, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort of his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, meaning, of course you have. Of course you have, guys. Make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do you ever wonder what is going on in the church? What is going on in that church that this is the kind of stuff he's getting at? This is really bad. And you start to get hints in this letter that this stuff's going all over. You know, whatever happens, he tells them, this is just a few verses earlier, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit, attending as one man. I mean, it sounds like a nice exhortation, but it's actually in light of, guys, come on. Be together on this. We're suffering under persecution. You've got to stay together. Or, I mean, and just earlier he goes, it's, some, it's true that some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing they could stir up trouble for me. You know, and so you realize there's people actually out there praying and they've got things of rivalry with Paul. There's ambition going on. They're, they're, they're preachers of Christ but doing it for the wrong reasons. So you start to do understand this, this prayer. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Because you start to realize this is the problem in the church. Guys, I'm praying that your love will become more, that you'll have discernment and wisdom in the midst of it, that you can figure out what's best, because what's the problem? Is it's not, and they're not loving as they should. And then in chapter four, you really get a feel for what's happening. I plead with Eudokia, Eodia, and I plead with Sintiki, I don't know how to pronounce these names. <laughs> Um, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, can I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. These are two leaders in the church, right? People, these are not like two folks or all these little people over there having a problem in the church and contending, right? These are people who have sacrificed for the gospel, contended at my side. This is Paul saying, they were at my side preaching the gospel in the midst of a hostile city, right? Philippi is like a mini Rome, Right? It's a place that was, you know, it was it was like little Rome, and to confess Jesus as Lord in the midst of a place where Caesar is Lord is dangerous. And they were standing up there and they were preaching the gospel, they were contending for the Lord, and now these guys are in conflict with one another. So you have to go, wow! At the very top of the leadership, they are split up. There's people preaching out of rivalry. It's just, it's a mess. And that's really the problem in Philippi. And now he goes, now, what's what's at the heart of that mess? What is causing all that problem? And he talks about this idea of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And by the way, do those words make any sense in English? Have you ever heard anyone use those words in English in a conversation? Selfish ambition, vain conceit. I have never heard them even once. Maybe someone used them. and, And even when they did a new translation, they used them again. And keep it on, this is an NIV, right, where their goal is to make it understandable. So why does this happen? Well, it's not because they don't understand the Greek. It's because they understand the Greek so well, but there is just nothing in English that is like it. There's no equivalent. See, sometimes when they they don't really understand what the Greek word means, they give it a really understandable English term. That's probably wrong, but it's understandable. When they really can't figure out how best to express it, They use these weird composite phrases like this. Because they're going, it's, 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 and with selfish ambition, it's kind of this idea of envy and rivalry. It's this thing of, it's an ambition which is totally, oriented around yourself. And it's, it's really akin to the idea of strife. It causes this strife because you're trying to put yourself forward. You're worried about me and I want it and I'm aggressive about it. You know, and can you imagine that kind of thing? Does that word make sense to you? Do you see that when it operates? It's like what James also says, where he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from desires that battle within you? Because this is what's causing all the fights and battles, the things inside of you, the things you want to have. He says you want them and you can't have them, and so now you're angry at one another. And the other word he uses, um, vain conceit, that's a little simpler in some ways. It's simply the word empty glory. Empty glory, which, again, doesn't make that much sense in English. But what the idea of glory is in English is the idea of um, basically getting attention. It's something that's seen that kind of results in praise. Like in football, right? What's the glory position? Quarterback, right? Because it gets seen. It gets attention. It gets praise. The offensive tackles don't get a lot of glory. They get a lot of attention when they make a mistake, That's the only time, other than that, if they have a perfect game, they never show up. So, glory is about getting attention. And he's saying one of the problems for you guys is you want attention, you want significance, you want praise from people, you want people thinking about you. And he says ultimately, that glory is empty, it is vain, it's worthless. I mean, do you have that you when know, you get all the praise from people? Everyone loves you. They think what you're doing is so wonderful. And the second you walk out that door, all that praise, how much value was it of? Nothing. And if you're living for that praise, when you walk out that door, what do you want? More praise. More recognition. See what I'm doing. See what I'm having. Don't, don't you understand what I did? Don't you understand all the work I put into this? Don't you, um, don't you see how clever that idea was? Don't you know that that was actually my idea that caused that whole thing to happen? I want glory, glory, glory. And he goes, it's all empty. It's all vain. One of the things that's causing your conflict is you want all this attention. You want all this glory. And you don't realize it's nothing. That need for power, control, you know, significance. Huge problem. When really he's saying just a couple, you know, verses later. And we're going to go over this whole big passage. We are actually spent a couple weeks because this, this passage in, in Philippians is one of the most important. But towards the end of it, it says the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When all this stuff happens, who gets attention? Who gets praise? God. He's saying, guys, you know you should be living for the glory of God. That in your life, God is, the attention goes to God, not to you. He's the one who is worthy of Glory. But you're trying to grab glory for yourself, and it's empty. And even worse than that, it is causing conflict with one another. Your hunger for significance, your hunger to be seen, your hunger to get credit, your hunger for glory, is causing all this ambitious strife with one another. It's just kind of scary, isn't it? And he says, and he says, one of the big problems here. You know, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And that, humility, by the way, in a Christian sense, is very different than an Eastern sense, right? In Eastern philosophy, um, you know, humility is essentially about lowering yourself, making yourself less. A Christian view of humility is more of a self forgetfulness. A humility doesn't require glory, doesn't require power, doesn't require all these things. You almost, you just care about others, you know, because they're important. You're not thinking about yourself. And keep in mind, um, this doesn't mean, like some people take this to the extreme, you go, you don't care about yourself, meaning I don't take care of myself at all. Yeah, Guys, there's a big difference between considering yourself having glory and significance and taking care of yourself. I want you to imagine you never slept. How much service could you offer to anyone else? Not a lot. It's just in the area of wisdom, though. Not in the area of attention or obsession. Very different animal. You know, And this idea of being like-minded, this is another one, one of these words that's very hard to translate to really get the heart of it, but it's really the idea that be of one sense of thinking, having your thoughts and perspective being the same. And this is not like uh, the Borg, I don't know, for Star Trek's people, where everyone's supposed to think exactly the same and come into a collective mind. No, it's where your thought is. If you look in Colossians, it says, you know, since then you've been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Where is your mind? Is your mind on the things happening here, or is your mind on things above? Where he has been risen, where you are seated, where He will come in glory. He says, have your minds on those things, not here. Because a lot of it's, what are you thinking about? When you're having all those problems, with all that vain conceit and selfish ambition, where is your mind? You know, interesting, in Romans, it says the word for mind there is three times in this verse. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. Those are actually three words of uh, mind there. And if you, the King James a little easier. Live in harmony with one another means be of the same mind with one another. Mind not high things. Don't be proud. Having your mind on these high things. But condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise. Don't think of your mind so wonderfully on your... It's kind of like, be not wise in your own conceit is basically, in a very similar idea, stop thinking about yourself. Don't have your mind on yourself, basically. And this is one of the big problems. Our minds are often on these high things, thinking of ourselves. We're not of one mind with one another. Our mind is not on things above, but things are on the earth. So this be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And this is one of the things that has causes so much clash among us, is that we can't do that. We can't have our mind on things above. Our mind is on ourself, is on our own significance. And it's causing conflict. It gets us in trouble in our family life. It gets in trouble in our communities. It gets us in trouble at work. You know, we—I uh, can't believe what they said about me. I can't believe how I was overlooked. Don't they appreciate what I'm doing? Doesn't anyone see what I'm doing? No one notices what I'm doing. I'm just overlooked. My thoughts don't matter. You know, they go and do whatever, and they dismiss what I say. Right? And what does it make you feel? I'm not significant. And man, that is the leading to the thing that smashes you with one another. You don't think it happens in church life? Whoo, does it happen in church life. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to name anything, but this is, this is classic. I mean, some of your people who are the most ardent volunteers, it's amazing how many times you can see the difference because once I've met so many volunteers who once they don't get their way, they take their toys and go home. I'm like, ooh, who are you serving? I mean, I don't want to sound bad. I mean, I, it, and I don't want to make it sound so bad People really want power, they want significance, they want notice, they want praise. But you know who it really is? It's really all of us. Because what's the really dangerous thing about this sin? You don't see it in yourself. Right? Who, who's he putting his finger on right here? Is this like the people who are in a bad church? No, Philippi's a radically great church. It's amazing. He's putting his finger on people who have sacrificed for the gospel people who have put the world behind them and set Jesus as their Lord, who have endured persecution, who have made incredible sacrifices, who are leaders of others. These are not, these are heroes of the faith. And if heroes of the faith can't keep their minds off themselves, how much more do you think we are subject to it? Man, if you don't think, you know, if you don't think you have a problem with this, then you really have a problem with this. <laughs> Honestly, if you don't realize you've got a problem, you've got a serious problem, I don't know what else to say to you. <laughs> okay, because it is a monstrosity. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what does happen to us as it is. I mean, it becomes like the thing which is the back puppeter. You know, if we don't have our minds on our, and realize our need for significance, our need for glory, it will just operate us. And it will move us. And it will make us do things and say things and have conflict with others we don't want to have and we won't even know what's happening. And we'll suddenly end up with smashed relationships, lost jobs, communities that are broken up, friendships broken up, and we won't know what it is. And if you don't identify, you know what happens? You just repeat it. Even if it's happened to you, if you don't learn from it, you'll just do it again. I mean, I'll I'll confess up to something. So the other day, um, my wife came to me and uh, mentioned some things that could improve in my marriage life as a husband. (laughs) And as a parent, very constructive. And, uh, and I naturally was so grateful to hear it. Thank you. Oh, I have such insight of things I hadn't seen before. And now I've seen them. Oh. You know, because who wants, don't you want to know? Right, you want to know. And other, you know, who, everyone needs input from others and counsel from others. I was so grateful. That might have been how I reacted. I may have also—I'm not—it's—it's it's foggy for me. I can't remember, but I—I—I I, I may have felt the need to um, point out that her her way of seeing it wasn't exactly right. I may have—I may have felt the need to really put it in a proper context, and to really, uh, you know, to see the motives. Really, should have—that's that, really not the motives. These were really the motives, and and it's always important to point out when someone says something, you know, to point out that five percent, which is inaccurate. It's far more important than 95. That's correct, you know. And so, just for accuracy standpoint, I want to make sure that five percent is nailed properly. And while we're talking, I figure you probably want input from me <laughs> as to what's happening in your life. And um, yeah, I, I can't remember which it was, um, which which way I went. But but one of the things that you know Paul is saying is it's so foolish. What do, what do you gain? What do you gain from trying to somehow defend yourself or justify yourself or have yourself thought of differently? I mean, what are you gaining? Nothing. What are you losing? Oh, I'm sure she loved hearing that, right? That was like, so receptive. If, if that happened, I can't, you know, or might have. But uh, do you see the foolishness of it? You've basically gained nothing, lost everything. To try because you're on the throne. Paul says, stop it. And he says, that is what the gospel's really about at its heart. I mean, if there's a thing which, you put your, which, which puts the gospel right in the center, it is this thing. You know, he says, and he turns to it, goes, guys, if you have any encouragement at all from being united with Christ, he who came to die for you, you have any encouragement from his promises, the strength he's given you, any any comfort from his love, any fellowship, that means communion, any communion with his spirit. The spirit of God has touched you and you sense any closeness to him in your heart. If there's any tenderness and any compassion, guys, if if you've been touched by the Lord and the gospel, guys, put that stuff to the side. Make my joy complete. Be like-minded, having the same love Being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look, not only, and it's really your own selves, but also to others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. He becomes the model, right? That's why it's at the center of gospel, because what did he do? He, when being, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? He didn't think my significance. Oh, I'm like God. I have to grasp it. I have to hold on to it. I have to hold on to who I think I am and who I am. What did he do? He emptied it. Emptied himself. Did not uh, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, right? A servant, one who serves others. He who is the Creator, to whom all should serve rightfully and truly, made himself the servant of all. He made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. Can you imagine the weakness walking around this very world you've made? And then the crazy thing: and humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How is that possible? that he let those whom he serves, who he made, to whom he is owed all glory and all um, servanthood, he let them put himself to death for their own benefit so they could be forgiven. Because this is the one we worship. This is the one we bow our knee to. And if he was able to do that, how much more can you? How much more can me? How silly it is to claim my significance, to cling on to it. Let it go. Because our significance ultimately only rests in him. The praise which endures is the praise he has of us. That which we have done for his glory is the thing which is eternal. Let what he has done for us Take your chains out of your need to be significant in the sight of others. Your need for praise from others. Your need to justify yourself. Your need to be right. And really, that's what this table's about, isn't it? Why do do we do this? Even monthly, why do you say do it again and again? Because around this table, we remember these great truths. Because in the midst of this broken world, there is not one here who is, who is immune to this problem. It acts like a, a va- you know, if you stop thinking about it for a bit, it'll just... And, and the more you see of how much it pervades your life, the more it uncovers that it does. It's like, the, you know, once you get the big layer off, then you realize it's actually even deeper. You get that layer off, it goes deeper, and it will never stop until you get to the bottom. So actually, if you see it now, don't feel bad about it. That's good. That's the first step to letting God, inviting God in to cleanse you of it. If you don't see it at all, you should pray that you do. Because I bet it is, it is working in your life. I guarantee it. And So when we come to the table now, we come to remember the one who did not... Have his equality with God, he emptied himself of that. He didn't grasp it, he didn't hold on to it, and he died for us. And two, we come here and we commune with him. And you receive again that forgiveness and that cleansing anew and afresh. So let's take a moment now to confess to the Lord, to speak to him about are you struggling with some of these things we talked about? With struggling with your need for significance, your need for attention? Are you getting defensive a lot? Do you feel a need to justify yourself, a crying need to be understood by everyone? Confess it to the Lord and ask Him to help. Where's God putting His finger in your life? Open yourself up and allow Him to put His finger on it, give it to Him. But begin to embrace that freedom of living for his approval. Embrace that you are actually far more significant than you ever dreamed possible. You are more valuable, more loved. You don't need to hold on to love from the world. You don't need to hold on to praise from others. You don't need to hold on to the significance from a, you get from being affirmed in your job. There's a greater significance, which makes all those things pale in comparison. I ask the Lord to help you to live for those things, for his praise. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are, that are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. The night before he died, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. saying, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and pouring out, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood given for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Let's pray. O Lord of all, God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine. That this bread we break and the cup we bless may truly be a communion with you. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Jesus and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may truly be one. As this bread is Jesus' body, one body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.